Welcome to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. This is your host, Ethan Gavon, coming to you from Sacramento, California. Keep Playing Baseball is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping every high school baseball player navigate the recruiting process and play college baseball. At Keep Playing Baseball, we don't think money should dictate college baseball opportunity, and all our resources, including this podcast, are 100% free. No signups, no fees, no strings attached. We use the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast in many different ways, but the main point is to get you the information you need to keep playing baseball. We appreciate you tuning in to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast, the best source of recruiting information on the go. What's up, guys? Welcome to the latest episode of the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. We're pumped to welcome our first big leaguer to the show today. We're chatting it up with Virgil Vasquez, who's entering his fifth season as a pitching coach in the Minnesota Twins organization. For the 2019 season, Vasquez is the pitching coach for the Class A affiliate in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. A graduate of Santa Barbara High School, where he was drafted in the seventh round, Vasquez elected to go to UC Santa Barbara and again was drafted in the seventh round as a junior. He pitched for over a decade in professional baseball, including two big league seasons, one each with the Tigers and the Pirates. His journey in baseball includes stops at every single level, from Little League to the Big Leagues, and legendary status in the Australian Baseball League. On this episode, we pick his brain about his playing career, his coaching career. We talk about the draft process for high school players. And one of the areas that we really take a deep dive into is the mental game. We talk about how Vasquez incorporated the mental game into his own career, what he's using with his current players with the Twins, And we get almost to a philosophical and really deep level about the place of the mental game for baseball players, how you can best prepare yourself for success in the game, what that process looks like, and what that mindset looks like. So we're going to get into a lot of topics that can really help you guys as you look to push your baseball career as far as it can go. We're super excited to share this conversation. So without much more ado, we welcome Virgil Vasquez to the podcast. Virgil, welcome to the podcast. Hi, uh, thanks, Ethan. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Looking forward to talking some shop with you. Um, and uh, sounds like it hasn't quite decided to be baseball weather out there in uh, in Iowa yet. <laughs> Not yet. Uh, we got snowed out two days ago. Um, yesterday before our game, we had like three or four inches of snow on the field in the morning and green grass and 40 degree weather by night <laughs> got it gotta love that right <laughs> i'm looking out my window right now and the trees are just starting to to give some green leaves there so, you go so that's a good sign yeah it's trying man well i guess you've seen just about everything in your in your baseball career so why don't we start with there and, and just walk us through kind of where you've been on your baseball journey and and how you got to this point in your career as a, as a pitching coach there for the class A affiliate with the Minnesota twins. Yeah, I guess they just, uh, you know, just run through, I guess where I've been, um, you know, 
Pony League as a kid, uh, Santa Barbara High School, uh, four years in high school, drafted as a senior in the seventh round, um, decided to go to college, spent three years at UC Santa Barbara, and got drafted again my junior year in the seventh round, same round. Uh, drafted by the Tigers then, uh, played with them from 03 to 09, and then 2010, oh, sorry, 03 to 08, 09, I was with, with the Pirates. 2010, I got traded to the Angel, uh, to the Rays, and then signed with the Angels in 11. They released me after, uh, after an injury to my right pec, uh, after I was healed, and then the next couple of years, I was played in Australia and in Indie Ball and then in the Atlantic League. And then from there, uh, out of Australia, one game, um, I got picked up and signed uh, by the Twins and then played for the Twins for a couple of years. And then in 15, uh, the, right before the 15 season, uh, they asked me if I wanted to be, uh, be a coach. There was an opening in the GCL and it just kind of fit with my life at the time. Um, I was engaged and kind of settling down and so I took the opportunity to to kind of teach the game rather than play the game and it's and it's been really a blessing actually and so now um, you know five years later this is now I'm in Cedar Rapids with my first full season team uh, really enjoying it Um, just trying to inspire and encourage and and help in any any form that I can yeah and you get it obviously just from that quick recap, you have a lot of experience that you can draw from on different continents, which is pretty cool. But why don't we uh, – let's start back in high school. And, uh, you know, you mentioned you were drafted in the seventh round out of high school, but you decided to go to your hometown school at UC Santa Barbara. Um, talk a little bit about that decision. And, you know, you and I have also talked about the advisor-player relationship. So let's dive into that just a little bit. Yeah, then in 2019, yeah, in the year 2000 when I graduated, I think the the draft also had a little bit of like less uh, glamour to it. Mm-hmm. It was more like, hey, get drafted, go play pro ball. And now it's televised and there's different things. Um, so I guess it didn't feel like a huge life-changing ex- moment for me, but in the same regard, it was. You know, <laughs> like as yeah. I look for that decision made, like uh, really – um, it really was a big like crossroad that was was, a, was important to my growth as a person. Yeah. So leading up to the draft, uh, there was like you know there's some fall ball teams and some scout teams were calling me, and I was telling them I was just playing for my high school team, and and they actually got some good advice. I remember it was a Mets team, and the guy he said, "Oh, if you're pitching, just go pitch. You know, just just as long as you're playing, that's a good thing." And so I really appreciated that advice because it allowed me to go play for my high school team. And it allowed me just to, to play. Like I didn't need to go play for another team because what I realized or what after as looking back was like, if I was good enough, they would find me because I was in a little town, Santa Barbara, um, you know, no major city there, uh, like kind of in between LA and five hours South of San Francisco. And um, it was just like, if you're good enough, they'll show up. And so that's kind of what happened. You know, I gained a mile an hour every week uh, until I hit 93 as a, as a senior. I was throwing 86, 85 as a, as a junior. When I would get home from, from, from school, I'd go to the YMCA. I'd play racquetball. I, I, I lifted weights. I did different things just on my own. I didn't even really have a professional helping me. It was just kind of – I loved uh, trying to get better and, and just moving the body. And, and then at the field, 
I had a, a one of my good buddies, Jason Schwan, we would play long toss and then we bring it in and we just try to break each other's gloves every day. Like, you know, if you want to throw hard, you got to practice throwing hard. So right. we would just come in and just let it eat, uh, you know, multiple times a week. I couldn't tell you the exact schedule. It's kind of uh, some time ago. So as that mile an hour gains, you know, got higher, you know, you gain more attention because, you know, back then velocity, they said the only th- was the only thing you can't teach. And so, you know, that's obviously changed now. Right. But just that, that, as that, that gained, that gained speed and all of a sudden there's five, 10, 15, 20 scouts at the at baseball games and, you know, in Santa Barbara, California. So, yeah, so that, I, I really liked that experience because I didn't have to go play the scout ball. I didn't have to go play all these things. It just, just focused on the, the ability and the craft. And then, you know, if, if it's good enough, it'll, it'll show up. So then leading up to the draft, you know, I met with a couple advisors. That experience to me wasn't actually as, I, I it wasn't as, didn't feel as good, I guess. Because mm-hmm. I didn't understand, like, really, like, these guys were coming in, they're telling me these stories, what they're going to do for me later, or, I, I don't know, I just, it, it was different then. And I ended up choosing someone. Um, and... Like I got drafted and then post draft, he just kind of wasn't there. I don't know. He, well, he didn't, he didn't help, I guess, negotiate. I guess my expectations might've been higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't there. Like I wasn't talking to him. He wasn't calling me. And so after that experience, you know, I, I kind of got a different view of what, you know, an agent or advisor should be going into the draft. You know, and like, and nowadays, like, do you even really, I, I, this is what I think, like if I'm just being frank, is like, do we really need one? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, do you really, like, I was thinking like, okay, if I get an agent now, I would say, all right, you, you know, you get 5% of everything after my first offer, <laughs> you know, or, or like, cause like we've worked, you know, as an athlete, you work really, really hard to get to that point. And then this guy comes in, uh, I guess they, but you know, in anything else, you need a mentor, you need someone that's been there. You need someone that's helped you go through the process. Right. You choose an agent you're choosing like you're choosing this person and this voice to represent you when you're not around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of, it, if you know, it's hard to choose over one dinner or it's hard to choose. And I would say um, just as like, you know, they drive up in the Mercedes or the other guy drives up in the Toyota, you know, I don't know which one would be better. I would say you just got to get to know them because they're going to be your word to uh, to the organizations or to the people that they're, they're negotiating with and different, different agents have different reputations. I remember I asked my organization after I was drafted uh, and signed out of college, I asked my organization about my agent and no, they said they didn't have one bad thing. And they said the guy, I remember the guy told me, he said, well, if there's, if there's no bad things, that means it's a good thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So- but my, yeah. Go ahead. So for a high school kid who's, who's trying to decide whether they, you know, take, a, take an agent or an advisor as they're, they're called, what advice would you have about um, the types of things that you would want them to do as a player? Like what would be the most helpful thing going back to your high school experience that that advisor, that agent could have helped you with that they didn't? 
the first thing that comes inside is communication, mm-hmm. you know, and also, you know, you, you want to see that they somehow see if they treat all of their guys the same, um, if how, how they care about the people around them somehow, right. Or not, it would be like if they show up for dinner because say like, cause I was drafted in the seventh, maybe he's like, Oh, you were in a top five. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I don't know. I, that's me just projecting. Right. Like you're a 22nd rounder out of high school or you're 30th. And then, you know, it's all about like him helping you get to where you want to be. And if the guy is in it for himself and he doesn't see a golden ticket, like, is that going to be good? And I'm not saying they're all like that. Like I have friends that are agents that now, and um, there's a lot of good people out there that are going to be really willing to help you and advise you. And saying that, it's like that. It's an advisor. Like you're looking for someone to help advise and mentor you mm-hmm. through a process of professional baseball um, so that you can call them and be like, hey, this is going on in my organization. What should I do? Or this is going on in my game. How can I help my game? This is going on in negotiations. How can we, you know, work through or whatever, whatever the thing is you want this person to like, that's what they're there for is to help you and reflect to you and, and help guide you right They're an advisor. It's not just Hey, buy me some cleats. Uh, I need some new undershirts. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which as a, as a high school player who maybe hasn't gotten a lot of free stuff like that, that might seem like a, a bigger deal than it actually is, but the actual <laughs> help, help through the process is what you want. So did your, yeah. did your experience with your agent or your advisor, did that impact your decision to go to college? Uh, well, the truth is, is like I was seventh round and they offered me 70,000 and me and my dad looked at the average high school pitcher in the seventh round of the previous year and they got like 240 or two something. And we called them, <laughs> like my agent didn't, wouldn't even call with us. And we called the, called the team back and we said 250. That's what average was last year. That's what we want this year. Um, we just looked an average of the round. Like that's all we wanted, just average. And they never, it never came to, uh, never met that negotiated to, <laughs> to a common ground, I guess you could say, but also like, you know, it was a big decision, but going to college really changed, like really, really helped me. Like it was really, really important for me. I think, uh, going out of high school, you know, if you're not a school guy or, um, you know, it just, you're offered life changing money. But there's something about coming in the professional baseball world that's it's different. Like you go to the field, the, I don't know, you, it's 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 a really great environment to grow as a baseball player and a person. Um, but there's something there's something to be said about going to college and having to organize yourself and schedule yourself and and take care of school and baseball and feeding yourself and and living and friends and 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 going through that process and kind of growing as a person before getting into the world of, of, a, of a business and pro ball. Right. There's something to be said about actually like I, for me, I, I don't think I would have made it if I would have went out of high school, I don't, like not like, <laughs> like the experience of not living with my parents, the experience of having to do everything on my own and learning about myself, uh, the experience of drinking too much sometimes and learning about like, I can't do that. And, and, and really succeed at something I want to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, like experiences, you know, 
that maybe in a job might 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 have hurt it a little bit you know learning outside of it and then coming in it and a little more prepared as a little more mature as a person yeah go through some of those growing pains (laughs) while you're in while you're in an environment that expects that and can kind of help help you through that process yeah we like like in pro ball we help too like if that happens like we're very supportive it's just it was for me it was different and also I don't know if there's still truth to it, but we looked up the average time it took a high schooler to get to the big leagues, and we look up a college guy to get to the big leagues. And I, I, I could be mistaken. It was some time ago. It might, might be something good to look up. It was like five years, five to six years. It took a high schooler to get to the big leagues, and right. a college guy was three. Yeah. So even if you go to college, you know, this was my mindset. Like if I go to college, I'm still going to get there at the same time. It's just I'm going to spend the three years here instead of the three years in pro ball. And if I'm good, if I'm good enough and I, and I take care of my body and I'm, and I'm consistent enough in my work habits and I have the right focus, I'll get drafted again. Like it didn't like, it wasn't like, Oh, I'm not signing. I'm not gonna, it, There was no stress about, is it, am I going to get drafted again? It was like, I'm going to go to college and then I'm going to get drafted again. There wasn't a, if there wasn't an, if in my mindset, it was like, I'm going to, I'm just going to spend three years here instead of three years in pro ball. I'm good enough now. Why wouldn't I be good enough after training for an additional three years? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and just keep growing and whatever. I'll just spend the years here instead of in pro ball. You know, a hundred grand doesn't change my life. You know, it's after taxes and, uh, you know, you buy one thing and now, you know, it's, you just, you just get it. One, what I realized in the signing bonus is you just get two checks, uh, and you kind of get it like you're going to keep getting it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you spend a little, you're like, no, it only comes once. So like, just, just like put it away. Just like right. hang on to some of it. Like, yes, take care of your life. We can talk about signing bonus in, in a minute, but uh, yeah. And you hear a lot of stories about people who, who sign and they buy a big truck or they, <laughs> you know, get, get the, the object that they've always wanted. And then, career doesn't pan out and all of a sudden that that money that cushion is gone and that truck has depreciated in value the minute they (laughs) drove it off the lot and uh, you know so making those those financial decisions as a 17 18 year old is a little more difficult than maybe when you're 20 21 22 yeah that too like (laughs) no i got i got 130 250 i think i think that's what it was Uh, i guess we'll just go right into it and you know, my mindset on the money was this money is going to get me to the big leagues. So I don't know if that was a correct one or incorrect, but when I that run out, ran out, I got to the big leagues. <laughs> I was in the big leagues when that ran out. But so then I, so explain, explain that a little bit, that, exactly what you mean by this money is going to get me to the big leagues. So you're going to use that to invest in myself. Okay. To, to get me to the big league. So, um, I would trained at this place called peak performance project. Um, you know, it was some, I don't, I don't, some thousands of dollars in off seasons. Uh, you know, my, my brother told his car. So I bought a car to help out my family, um, and gave my car to my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, eating well during the season, not eating the spreads that now, nowadays the spreads are a lot better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back, back then the food was really poor. 
Um, so feeding myself, uh, living situations in the off seasons, not working in the off season, focusing on training, focusing right. on enjoying like myself and life. Uh, so I, I, I never had to work uh, in the off seasons. I only trained. I, it was only about throwing and lifting and training and focus and pitching. It didn't have to like one off seasons. I, I worked. I tried to do it, but it just just kind of <laughs> made some chaos for me. I worked at Puma, and then I was a bouncer at a bar, which is not a smart thing to do as an athlete. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, but they're all experiences I had to I had to move through and learn about. Yeah. So, but the money, like, it took care of me while you know while I was playing, and to get me to the next level that I felt you know that I was going. I did save around, I don't know, I think 20 or 30 of it in an IRA. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, like, you know, I used it, I used it to invest in myself to get me to the place that I was going. And it worked. <laughs> it, it, it ended up working. No, it, it. <laughs> it ended up working. But then I got there and I wish I would have changed my mindset because now I'm making more money and I'm spending it just as fast. Right. Because now I feel like the lifestyle of being there and, you know, trying to keep up with it. I just, I, I don't, I, it taught me a lot. Cause now I live, I just live how I live. And no matter what I make, I'm just going to live at this level. Cause it's, this is what I like, mm -hmm. um, which is very easy and minimal and, um, you know, just get the necessities in life. Right. So, yeah, it, there's a couple of themes that I keep hearing you come back to. One is, you know, just in the same way that a high school player should do their research on the college program that they're going to, you did a lot of research to inform your decision. You know, you're looking up average draft salaries or bonuses. You're looking at uh, other things. So that's a theme that keeps coming back. And then another one is, is taking care of yourself, right? Learning. It, you might go through some challenging times or have to learn some lessons, but when it came down to your career, what you invested in was taking care of your body and making sure that you put yourself in the best position to be good at baseball. Uh, I was willing to spend anything and do anything to be the best. It and didn't matter. I didn't like, and every experience, like you can make, anybody can make a mistake. Like, I don't like, I coach this way too. Like, I don't mind anything anyone does as long as the next time it happens, they're different. Like, and I do that with myself. Like, okay, I, I'm okay. Like I forgive myself for anything I do, but I'm learning it and it won't repeat if it's a negative in my life. Right. And so it's like this determination or this focus that, you know, I'm doing the best I can. I'm being the best I can be the moment I'm being that until I learn different, you know? And when I learned John Wooden's definition of success, success is peace of mind. So success is actually peace of mind which is like, what? Success is peace of mind knowing that you've given your best to be the best you're capable. Yeah. So if I've known I've given my best to be the best in that moment that I'm being, and then I also have this like, like this, this uh, dedication to myself that I know that if my best needs to adjust, I'll adjust it. Then every moment is okay. And I just keep forgiving myself and improving rather than getting mad at myself. So if I go out and I, and I throw a, even in a game, like I throw an O2 curveball and I hang it, I could get mad at myself or I could say, what did I learn? Don't throw the ball in the zone O2. Throw it on the plate. 
And so now it's like next time just throw it on the plate and it might take four times to learn it, or it might take three bullpens and it might be a different process to learn that one thing, but there's the focus to teach myself to be better because I found a place that I could improve. Yeah. Love that. And, and how long did it take you to learn that? You know, how long did it take you? Is this something you learned in college or, you know, a lot, you see a lot of guys just, uh, ramming their head against the wall <laughs> getting getting mad at themselves and you know obviously Wooden figured a lot of things out about winning and success and his definition is something that we've shared uh, yeah. through our through our website as well but yeah. you know, it's easier said than done so so when, easy. when did so, you really put this together <laughs> I, I hope someone can put it together a lot sooner than me but me it was when I signed back with the twins and instead of getting mad at my games I questioned myself in the game a few things. I said, did I follow my intent, my, my instinct the whole time? And if I didn't, where did, what happened in the result? And usually the result in my not following my instinct or not committing to the pitch fully was like a hit or a ball or not a committed pitch that got a result that I was intending. So the first question was I committing and did I follow my instinct? And if it didn't where? And the other thing that I asked myself, is where did I let give my power away in the game? So what does that mean? It means that like, okay, if I'm standing there in the game and I feel confident and I'm, and I'm making plays and I'm making pitches and then there's an air behind me and I get mad at the air and now I'm like, man, like that's why I had a bad game. Oh God, if you could just make the dang play. And then I give up two more runs. This actually happened. My shortstop, my second baseman at the time got a ground ball. So ground ball, second baseman, play it safe like he just didn't hustle didn't throw the ball hard to first and the guy beat him out a ground ball second I got so mad and then I gave up three runs that inning and I and afterwards I I questioned myself I'm like okay if I could have given up no runs would I have of course if I could have given up no hits if I could have thrown a no hitter would I have of course I would have but so some regard that game was my best so where did I mess up? Okay, where did I get my power away? Oh, that, in that inning, in the third inning, I got mad at the second baseman and I took the anger into my pitch. And so my focus was on the second baseman, not on the hitter and not where I was trying to execute and not what I was trying to do. So I gave my power away to the second baseman and in turn that's saying, I can't have a good game until I have a new second baseman. And right. so... Uh, so then I'd be like, okay. And then what comes is so there's a reflection and then it becomes, what am I going to do next time? So I'd say, okay, next time there's an error. What am I going to do? I'm going to go to my fielder and I'm going to point at him. I'm like, Hey, I'll get you another ball. Let's go. Me and you, we got to do this together. And then I like, cause that'll reset me and hopefully lift him because my goal is to help lift my players and my teammates around me. And so the next time that there was an error, I did that. And it felt better to me. It was, an, it was a release and a refocus because once I got back on the mound, it was about getting the hitter out and executing my pitch, not being mad. And so that like process happened and there was the weather, the mound. I did it with the like, mound I was pitching on. There was the umpire that happened a lot. Like, oh man, he's not giving my calls. Well, now I have to have a new umpire to have a good game. No, I just execute my pitches. I don't care if he calls it a ball or strike. It's about the hitter swinging and missing. it's about what it's about what you have control over yeah which is the only thing you have control is your response and how you show up and how you commit that's it it's only what's going on inside of you 
So if you can control your emotional state and your focus and your intention and committing to that, then then you're good. So I just kept doing that. And then what happened, which was kind of interesting, was after games, I'd have real peace of mind. Like, if I could have given up no runs, what I have? Yes. If I could have given up no hits, what I have? Yes. And all of a sudden, this, like, weight of giving up hits and runs lifted. And what became, it became more of a reflection and a a process of getting better because now I was asking myself, okay, what what can I get better at in my game? Not, why did I give up runs? And then the craziest thing happened is I had a guy on third because now peace, now I had peace of mind, right? Because I knew I was giving my best and I was improving. So now there's a guy in third, there's two outs and the best hitters up. And I was like, ah, oh. I had him in a one, two count. And I stepped on the mound with a curve on my hand. I'm like, throw your nasty curveball, throw your best curveball right here. And I stepped off and I was like, nah, you don't have to do that. You hang those, just throw your normal one because you know that your best is good enough and you'll reflect on it later if it's not. And that's, that whole thought didn't happen, but the feeling of that happened. And so I got back on the mound. I was like, just be normal. Like, that's good enough. Just be you. And all of a sudden, whoop, strike them out. We go in. Like, and then the peace came in the game, and I wasn't expecting that. Powerful stuff, man. Makes me think of a, a quote that we, we like to use from uh, Ray Dalio, where he Love says, that. He says pain plus reflection equals progress. It's funny because I watched his lecture and cause we were, we were given his book by our organization mm-hmm. and I, and I'm more of a listener and a watcher than I'm a reader. And, uh, I watched and I was like, that's exactly what I did because success leaves clues. Like truth is truth everywhere. And he did the same, same thing. And he fell upon the same thing in business. And so this is a way to do it in sport. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great lesson for all the kids out there listening who want to play at a high level. Is Yeah, I would totally agree. If you want to play, you know, it's about improving yourself, not trying to not give up hits. So if you want to, you know, like, what, is the, what does it mean to focus on the process? It means focusing on the things that you have control of and the things that you're executing. And, but why, why are you adjusting your process? Because you want good results. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the result is why we are adjusting, but the process is what we're adjusting. So what it is, what is the process? The process is my emotional state, uh, my mental state, my focus, my intention, my commitment, um, the type of pitches I throw, the type of swings I take, like, you know, the approach is huge. Like, what am I doing? We can go into this for a second. So what I learned about approach, yeah, what I learned about approach is that if I give myself an approach and intention, when I go move the body, all I have to do is finish the play. So for example, if I'm at third base and I'm a third baseman and there's a guy in first, I'm like, okay, uh, if I get, you know, play ball in front of me, I'm just going to go to first, uh, glove side. I'm going to feel it go to second deep backhand. I'm going to throw to first uh, ball right at me. I'm going to go to second. So you're just giving yourself your approach to what might happen to the game. And then there's a ball hit to you. You run up to the ball and you finish. Mm-hmm. You're not like the ball's a hit to you. And as you're going to get the ball, you're fielding it and trying to decide what you need to do. Right. So that would be good. So what so we have a, a section of our resources called think the game. And really what it is, it's, it's talking about the mental game and improving your baseball IQ. And 
Yes. Most of the lessons that we talk about are exactly what you just mentioned, which is, you know, doing the prep work, put yourself in a position for success so that when, when the play comes, when the comebackers hit to you, you're not thinking about 2 million things all at once (laughs) trying to make a play that's difficult enough already. You're just following your approach. You're following your plan. Following your plan, you get ball, throw ball there. Like, <laughs> you know, you have to have practiced it. You have to put in the lots and lots of practice to practice that. You know, how even just the little things as a pitcher, like, how do I touch first base when I'm covering first on the 3 1? Mm-hmm. You know, that it, it seems monotonous, but it's a practice. You know, when there's a guy in second, how do I do it? You know, if you can master that, that's also reflecting how much you care about all the details in your work. So then you're going to do that in other places. So I really like that. that that's all. I really think players and, and athletes should go to that section and, and check that out because that's really important. Yeah. I love it. We try and cover all aspects of the game. So we have over 200 different in-game scenarios where we run through it. We talk about the situation, the play, yeah. what, ha- what happened, what went wrong, what, what could have been done differently to to change the result or at least put yourself in the best position yeah. to change the result. So learning from the mistakes of others so that you don't have to make them yourself. Yeah, what a resource. <laughs> you know, so like, like like we just talked about, I can adjust my process to get the result I want, but I can't adjust my result to get my result. So it's like you're actually giving them the process and the approach already. It's beautiful. So I, I want to ask you about process because obviously – Work the process is something we hear a lot. And when we had actually your good friend Owen Reed on the, the podcast in the last episode, yes. you know, w- one of his focuses is, is work the process. And how do you make sure that the process is the right one? Because I think that's a piece of the puzzle that often gets left out. You know, there can be a bad process and you can work it and you're not going to get the results you want. So how do you make sure that you have the right process? Like we said before, it's like first the result will tell you, they am I or am I not having the right process? Um, second, ask people that have been and done it before. Like if you want to be good at it and you want to get anywhere, it's like like finding resources like this, and listening and learning from other people about process. Like like Ray, like you talked about. If you want to be a businessman, you're gonna f- try to find someone that's done it for at least ten years and listen to their words and listen to what they have to say you know, to see if the process is going to lead you to success. You know, maybe you are having success now, but there might be something that's going to, at the next level, you're going to need to add or take away. And so finding resources like this uh, is really valuable. Like That's what I do in everything I've done is if I want to learn something, I find a teacher that's done it for over 10 years and I do whatever I can to be with them. And so I've done that with baseball i've done that with coaching i've done that with tai chi and qigong i've done that with leadership i've done that with uh, money uh, and different things like there's so many resources now online and so people are so so available that they you know guys like ray and um you know i had different guys like my spiritual life is like david hawkins and uh you know and then money was tony robbins and uh Oh, what's his name? Uh, they're different people that have given me like little golden nuggets. And I'm like, okay. And when you listen to, say you listen to five mentors, 
after the fifth one, you're like, wow, there's this similar similarity between all of them. I mean, I should, I should probably add that. I should probably add, I should, oh, that's a good takeaway because you might listen to one and it's not that you want to like imitate one, but uh, when you listen to five, 10, 20 of them, there's a common thread that they all do. And, and then you kind of find that and you add that to your thing. So resource like this, you have over 200, <laughs> you know, video, there's over 500 pieces of content. Um, you know, it's a really, really powerful resource or listening to the, these podcasts of different, different professionals that have done it, that, um, just have that experience. Cause there's, there's something to experience, you know, there's something to, uh, it's a little different. if just reading about a thing rather than someone that's lived it and you want to find people that have lived it. Yeah. And what I love in your response actually is that I can see you evaluating, right? So you're in a constant process. I hate to use that when we're talking about the no, process, it is, but my life. constant process of evaluating where you are and being, being perceptive and purposefully observing different situations, which, you know, in a baseball game is readily available, right? Around yeah. the baseball field, you know, what's the best guy on my team doing? What is the, what is the best pitcher on my team do that I'm not doing? Um, yeah. And just constantly evaluating where you are and, and evaluating your process, I think is a great point. You know, that's how mm -hmm. you, that's how you get the right process is you evaluate it. Mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're not scared to tweak it and, no. and find a better one, which I love what you're talking about. You know, taking nuggets from every, every place you can. That's Everywhere. Awesome. Like, yeah. My, mine is like, my mindset is efficiency. I want to make the least amount of moves to get to the place I'm going to have the most amount of success. Yeah. You know, like my, my game card, you know, I have like my, my <laughs> now I send a, send a snapshot to you guys. You can post it, but you know, the, the chart I use is like, it took four years to develop this game chart and the way I keep track of the game. And so it started with one, it turned into another, like it started on like a little five by three card and then it went to a five by seven card and now it's on a full page and it just evolved. And now it's just everything I need is on one piece of paper and I can see it all and it's all right there, all the information. Mm -hmm. And it's so efficient. And it's like, it might not happen the first time. It took me five years to develop it, but there was like, you have to start somewhere. You know, you have to, you have to start it going. And then as you go, you just try to try to tweak it and, and change it. And, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, wow, look at this. It's perfect. This is all I need. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of a, a play sheet that a, an NFL coach would have, you know, that yeah. it breaks it down. Hey, if it's fourth and short, these are the best plays. If it's third and long, these are the best plays. You know, yeah. just, and, and that sheet probably won't look the same at the beginning of the year as it will at the end of the year as you start to realize what you need, what you don't need, what works yeah. best, what doesn't. So yeah, that, um, I want to ask you this cause you know, we're talking about taking advice and, and using the wisdom of other people. Now you played in the big league, so I'm sure you had people take you under their wing when you got up there, vet veteran players. So what, what are some of the best pieces of advice that you got from people once you got to the show that you really found useful that you think might be able to help some younger players as they try and play at the next level. I didn't really have one mentor when I got there that was like, he take, he took care of me. Mm -hmm. There was one guy, Todd Jones. He was a car closer with the Tigers. Uh, he was really nice to me. 
Um, you know, I, he, I used him as a sounding board. He always helped me. Um, but so you want advice that like to help stay in the game or. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, some of these nuggets that you picked up, you know, whether it be at the big league level or maybe there's a, a coach, a college coach or a pro ball coach that really gave you something that um, you think might benefit a young player who wants to keep playing the game at the college level or beyond. Yeah. Sharing any of those nuggets, those, those pieces of wisdom. Uh, from college, I mean, well, in the pro ball life, uh, I don't know if it might, it might, might resonate with college too. Is this one guy said, he says it never happens on your time. And I don't know why I always remember that. It was my pitching coach. It's like, cause you think you're ready. I'm ready. Let's go. I think I'm, oh, I'm, I'm ready to be a big leaguer in your triple A area. I'm ready to be a double A in your A ball area. It's time. It's time for me to get called up. But it just never it never happens on your time. You just have to prepare yourself for the moment that it is happen, that when it happens. Um and that that like stopped the rush in me uh some of some of the time. And it's like, okay, I'm just gonna pitch. I'm gonna be the best pitcher in the league that I am. And being the best pitcher in the league that I'm in is gonna get me to the next league. Uh rather than trying to focus. There was one year. And I was in AAA, and I think this can be anywhere. I was in AAA, and I was playing, and I was trying to be a big league pitcher in AAA. And so my whole focus was being in the big leagues. And it's the same, like, the same thing as getting mad at the second baseman made me not focus on the hitter I was facing. Trying to be a big leaguer in AAA made me focus on the big leagues, not the hitter that was in front of me. Right. And so – one point of my season, I was two and 10 with like a six ERA. And I was like, Verge, you got it. What do you got to stop doing that? You can't pitch somewhere you're not. You have to pitch where you are. And I was really proud of myself. I ended up 12 and 12, I think, with a five. But, you know, I just changed. I was like, I'm just going to be the best pitcher in this league. And another mistake that I've made is trying to pitch like I was. Like, uh, oh, I. Last year, I was doing this, and this is why I was good. So I'm like trying to imitate, but we're always different. We're always growing. And that, like, maybe there's some type of like mechanic or some type of mindset that you can have with you, but trying to be like you were also takes focus about from where you are. Because every, like, you don't lose what you had, you know, it maybe evolves or changes a little bit. And hopefully, with all that quality reflection, it's evolving to more of a uh, success for you but that also is a mistake I made that kind of held me from moving forward because I was trying to be where I was and rather than where I am if that makes sense yeah so not being you know reflecting on the past but not getting stuck in the past you know yeah. being being present or, or being aware of what's coming in the future but not trying to be somewhere where you're not so really talking about being present yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But the but the experience was huge. It was a big emotional experience about I'm a big leader. I'm a big leader. And my emotions or my emotions were last last year you you did your glove like this. You got to do your glove like this. You got to have this movement with your glove and your front side so that you can make better pitches. I'm like, no, you just have to focus on making good pitches. <laughs> it doesn't matter where your glove is. The glove helps. But it like in the end, it's just about commu- like committing and executing the pitch. <laughs> yeah, Keep, keeping it keeping it simple and getting back so, to some of those things we talked about at the beginning of the conversation. Yeah, so some throw ball there. That's yeah. it. 
<laughs> That's it. Yeah. Now I'm so really what we're talking a lot about the mental game, right? And it, it seems like the mental game is finally getting the attention it deserves in baseball. And I know you practice meditation and, and some other mental practices. Um, but you know, what, what did your mental training and mental practice look like when you played? Were you doing some of the same stuff that you're doing now? Or is this all stuff that you've added, you know, later in, and just talk a little bit about that mental preparation and, and meditation side of things. Yeah, I started in 09 when I started it. So um, my arm wasn't really working. And like I said, I would do anything. I would do anything, add or cut out anything to be the best. And so I was going, you know, to this really really high quality gym and it's not the gym's fault this is my body's fault right not my body so I don't blame the body either but I don't blame them for the the pain that I was having but uh my body wasn't working I was like I'll do anything so I ended up stop lifting and started meditating I started getting massages more than working out I stopped not not like a like a feel-good massage like like an athletic open the joints massage. Mm-hmm. And, and then I started reading books like Bruce Lipton, Eckhart Tolle, David Hawkins, um, Muji, these different, uh, you know, David, um, Tony Robbins, these different people that have, that are at the top of their game that have this uh, mental awareness about what's happening. And one, the first book I read was Bruce Lipton the biology belief. And what I learned from that was that it was a really big takeaway. So he says that in epigenetics, um, the way that our genes represent themselves is on the environment more than it is on our heritage. So environment meaning the way that we think, the way we feel, what we eat, uh, the things around us, how we surround ourselves, our, the way our room is, the cleanliness, there's different things in our environment, the people we hang out with, that is what how our genes represent themselves um, because they're always receiving information and they're either in fear or love and he says you can't be in, in fear and love at the same time meaning you can't be in growth and protection at the same time you're either growing or you're protecting yourself so however you're perceiving your external environment is is allowing you to grow or to not grow so if you're in a fearful state the whole time you're just trying to protect yourself and survive and you're not learning and growing. But if you're perceiving your outside environment is love and, and openness and you're, and you have this ability to express yourself and without the fear of being judged, then you're going to continue to learn and get better. And so I took that learning and learning that it was only a belief that maybe was holding me back. I asked myself, what belief is holding me back? And through contemplation, what I found was the belief that I had to lift to be healthy, to be a thrower. Like that was the belief that had been drilled into me and that I believed. And I was like, I'm going to change it because there was this study that David Hawkins said, he said, these, there's these 10 maids and they told five maids that they all wanted to lose weight and get healthier. And they told five maids that their work was enough to get healthier. So if they walking up the stairs, picking up the sheets, making the beds, picking up, bending over, squatting, standing up, 
that was enough to have a healthy body and to get healthier. And they told the other ones that they had to go work out and create extra time and go to the gym to have a healthy body and or to improve their health and lose weight. And at the end of the study, the five that they told that their job was enough, they actually lost weight and got healthier. I was like, whoa, if this is true, I'm going to try it. So the belief that, that I needed to lift and I needed to work out to throw, to be healthy, that I had to do all those things because uh, I was, I did so many move. I had so much routine and I was like, okay, throwing is going to keep me healthy and make me strong for throwing. It's just throwing. That's all. That's, that's the focus. Cause I was a lifter that threw and I, now I wanted to be a thrower that lifted. So did and, you, did you cut the lifting out completely or? Uh, well, eventually I wouldn't recommend that for younger players. Um, because you want to, you, you like, there's some real benefit to lifting and creating more muscle in your body. Um, right. but I would say have the mindset that, that lifting is to benefit my throwing. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a lifter that throws. I'm a thrower that lifts. Right. And there's a, there's a, there's a line there. So I started throwing and just focusing on my throwing. And if, if my lifts made me sore for throwing, I used to say, oh, but I got my workout in. It's okay. I'm like, I'm getting stronger. I would say, no, I lifted too much. I want to throw right. I want to throw good. So I want to throw, I want to throw and feel like, but if the next day I was sore from throwing, yes, that, that might, that was good. All right. Now I would look at where I was sore, uh, sore in good places because I learned that soreness uh, was my body communicating to me how I was using it. So if I was too sore in my elbow or I was too sore in the front of my shoulder, I was like, oh, I must have been flying open early. I got to st- be more patient with the body and, and accelerate through the finish more rather than accelerating the body and then dragging the arm behind. Um, so then, then the body, listening to the body became a tool of how I was throwing so rather than getting mad at it or like, oh man, my front of my, my elbow's sore. Oh my God, it's going to fall off. It was like, no, it's sore because I wasn't throwing efficiently. Just like we talked about efficiency, right? Now I'm going to adjust my throw a little bit so that it won't be sore there. And then I, my arm never gets sore. <laughs> it's always strong and it always feels good because I was listening to the body and it was communicating with me because the body... Uh, the soreness or the pain was the body communicating with me on how I was using it, not that it was weak or that it needed to be stronger or like that it's just supposed to be that way or whatever. No, it's communicating with me. So if I'm too sore in a certain place, I'll use it differently. Feedback to improve your process. Yeah. And it's the body communicating with you. And if I'm always sore from lifting, I can't listen. You found that it it worked. You were healthy. Yeah. You know, well, I, like I was, was I 29 at the time? Was it seven years ago? So 29, 20, 29, 30. So I just stopped lifting completely, but I still moved an hour and a half a day. Uh, I did Tai Chi, bounding, body weight stuff. I still move. Like I, I still believe like you have to move the joints, but I had a healthy throw and I threw, I pitched till I was 35. And I still throw two hours. I throw about an hour and a half a day now playing catch and long toss and still do the same movements that I've done for those since 2009. 
Yeah, I just it's uh, it's possible to have a healthy throw. That's something that we're actually just creating right now. It's called the perfect throw. We've invented a device to help people learn how to move move properly and have healthy movement patterns in their throw. And so uh, we're actually starting to make them to today. I got my shipment of all the stuff, all the all the uh, tools necessary to assemble them. So we're going to start selling them probably hopefully at the end of this week or next week. Talk a little bit about about what it is. Give a a little description. Yeah, I didn't want this to turn into that, but... uh, Yeah, just a short one. uh, We'll let let listeners make their own decision on whether... Yeah, yeah, that's what I want. It's just to help people. Like, I'm almost contemplating telling people how to make it. Like, I don't know. I just just want to help people throw healthy because everyone has a healthy throw. And it's about understanding how the energy moves to the joints. Because where do we always hurt? We hurt in our joints. Sometimes they're in our muscles, but not so much. It's more joints. Right. And so that's what I learned in Eastern and Western philosophies. Western, we focus on muscles. In Eastern, they focus on joints, ligaments, and tendons. Because um, we have a joint warm-up in Tai Chi and Qigong. So every day I do a joint warm-up. Does it warm up my muscles? Of course. But the focus is, is allowing my joints to be free and open. So this device helps align the, the movement pattern and the energy to move through the body to get from the bottom to the top because it's all about the ball. And what I learned is that every we're doing everything in the body for the ball and we always focus on the body and we never focus on the ball. So if I can create a, the correct ball pattern in the ball path um, with my hand, so people call it arm path, ball path. If I can create the correct ball path, then I power that with my body. So I have a healthy ball path and I understand how the timing is and sequencing through my arm and my shoulder joint and my elbow and what that's supposed to feel like and how do I time and power that with my body. So now I'm doing, using the body to power something. I'm not just driving it harder and hopefully throwing a baseball. It's like there's a sequencing and a feeling through the arm and through the shoulders and through the hips that I need to feel. And I'm going to sequence that and find that in the throw so that when I go to finish a pitch, it's ready and it feels like a homer. Like a throw should feel effortless. I've had people tell me, man, it feels like I'm, I'm massaging my arm. Like, oh, I don't feel pain anymore. Oh, it's so easy. I, I've, I've had so many people and then say things like that, you know, and it's just, it's just work. So I wanted to create something to help people feel it more often. And so we created this thing called the perfect throw, um, me and my friend Alex Treza. And so it should hopefully be on the market soon. And uh, it's just about helping people throw healthy and finding their healthy throw. And so this is something that you're working with, with your guys then with the, with the pitchers on your squad. Uh, yeah, we communicate with it since we haven't, um, we haven't created them yet. So we don't have any at the field. Um, also there's, you know, I don't know, I have to get different okays to the twins to bring this in. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're open to it. So I just want some more communication. I also have a, a, a business partner in Ireland and he's helping with research on, on how the body moves and why this is the correct movement, um, finding some science behind it. Uh, so, yeah, different, different things going on in the works to, to help influence the baseball world that throwing is healthy. Because I like the book The Arm. It, it taught me a lot, and, and I appreciated his work and efforts in there. And in the beginning preface, though, he says, if you throw, you're going to break. And I think that that's just kind of a mindset in throwers. And young throwers, old throwers, like I see like nine-year-olds saying, oh, my arm's sore. I'm like, you, you, no, that's wrong. Like you're just taught that. 
And so I, I totally disagree that if you throw, you're going to break. I think if you throw healthy, if you throw correctly and you understand your movement, you can throw forever. And I also live that way. So hopefully I just want to teach people how, what I've learned and how I live and how I throw two hours a day and be able to throw and spin any pitch and, and whatever they want to do with the ball once they learn how to do it right. So you're, so you're of the stance that you, the thrower is in control. The thrower can controls that, that pain. And by focusing on the ball, the arm path, the hand path, however you want to describe it and working back to see how the body fits into that. It's a, it's a healthier way to, to work. Yeah. Yeah. I just, for me, it's like, I've learned like in my spiritual life and in other lives, like you work from the end and work backwards. So I started doing that in my throwing. It's like work from the release point backwards. Well, the release point, I like to call it release pull because you're pulling through the, the ball. You're not, there's not a point and a pull is powers and pulling. So you work from there backwards and the release pull is a result, is, a, is, a, is an effect of where I'm coming from um, right before I fire my body. So my body's about to rotate. I got to get the ball in the right position, moving through, not move in the right, but moving through the right position that you would see in a still frame, but it's one movement, right? So you got to get the ball moving through that place. And when the ball's ready, let it eat and fire that body, push the red button and fire the rocket. And, you know, if the ball's in the wrong place, say the ball's way outside of 90 and you go to fire your body, you fly open. What do people talk about? Stop flying open, stop flying open. It's, I don't think you can not fly open with the ball way outside of 90 with a long arm. So the body is actually doing the exact thing it needs to do to throw the ball hard where you're going because of where the ball position is in real, relation to the body. So if I want to change the body, I change the ball position to it when I'm about to fire it. And that's what I've learned. And so rather than getting mad at the body for flying open, I say, thank you for telling me where I was when I was trying to fire the body or what my mindset was. Let me adjust my mindset. Let me, let me look at the sequencing and now let me fire it properly. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned a couple keywords that I want to touch on. You, you talked about sequencing and you talked about movement patterns rather than, you know, fixed positions. Yeah. And do you think thinking about throwing in terms of uh, fluidity in terms of, moving through certain positions rather than being in certain positions, which is so often how throwing has been taught in the past, right? Get to this fixed position. Well, we, we know that it's not a fixed position. It's, you can't just stop the body. The body is moving. So does the focus on movement patterns and sequencing kind of help with this shift from ball position to, to body position that you've, kind of adopted over your career? Yeah, I love it because when I thought about positions, I thought about getting to a place in space and it didn't matter how I got there. But when I think about movement pattern, what I learned in Qigong was in martial arts, they always move in arcs. They always move in half circles. So I thought about throwing is like in movement, if I move in a linear fashion, Take, I, I take the ball straight out out of my glove behind me, straight out. To come back forward, the ball has to stop. And then wherever it stops on the other side of the stop, I have to regenerate energy. 
But if it's rather than going in a linear fashion, take the ball out, if I did a slight arc, now I, the arc takes the energy into the next direction. So the, the body is actually moving in arcs and also in coiling, like it's moving in like a wringing out a wet towel kind of, kind of movement through all the joints. So the torso is ringing out, like people call hip shoulder separation. So what's happening through the, the torso? You're like wringing out a wet towel. What happens to the shoulder joint? You're wringing out a wet towel. And if in the ringing allows the joint to go somewhere to get energy, to fire it, because now it unrings, and then, and then it wrings out a wet towel the other way. And saying, but if I go like linearly, I pull the joint apart, and then I fire it, I pull it together, and then, it, then to slow the ball down or to slow whatever piece that it's doing, it has to lengthen again. So now you're creating this like, this like, in, this like in out, in out, rather than like this coiling motion through the joints, if that makes sense. So yeah. it's all arcs and movement, and the throw or the swing should have one start and one stop. What I found, and I still been like, I don't know if I should say this, but what I found in my observation is wherever there's a stop in the delivery or the throw, right on the other side is where you'll find the pain. Interesting. So that's my hypothesis. That's what I see. And so I'm going to keep looking for it. Um, I'm up for conversation about it with anybody and what they see, but that's, that's what I've seen. Awesome. So we're talking and we have been talking some <laughs> on a pretty high level here. And so a lot of the people listening to this are going to be high school uh, mm -hmm. players, high school parents, some, some high school coaches. So I want to kind of, you know, just for the last few questions, just bring yeah. it back to the high school level because a lot of the high schoolers listening to this, they don't get to get advice from a former big league pitcher and a professional coach every day. So what do you think is the most important? If you could boil it down to, uh, to one or two, a couple things, what do you think is the most important thing for young pitchers to do if they do have aspirations of playing in college or beyond? Consistency, determination, and like knowing that it's going to happen. Like there's, you just start from the end, right? You're like, I, that is going to happen. And also some honesty and some reflection. You know, it's, you have to love it. Like I stay up till three, two or three in the morning preparing for my next game that I have to do tomorrow. Like if I didn't enjoy my job, I would hate every day I get home at midnight after my game. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, as a thrower, like you're throwing every day. Like you need to lift. You need to do, you need to warm up your body for 45 minutes, half hour every day before you throw. Like you got to really love it. You got to find some love and some, uh, you know, passion and, and focus on doing that. You know, as I guess that would be, that's what kind of comes up right now is just, I've found, cause I love throwing, like I, I have fun with it. We call it like on our team right now, we have fun with focus, like focused fun. Like we're going to focus, but we're going to have a lot of fun. But when it's time to throw a baseball, we throw to a target every time. And we, 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 we hold ourselves to a standard, like playing catch. We're going to play catch. We're going to throw to a target. We're going to master our release point. We're going to master our release pull. Like little things like that. Like rather than adding a bunch of things in the things you're already doing, can you add intention and focus in that? So rather than saying, okay, I'm going to go play catch. 
And then before I'm going to do weighted balls. And then after I play catch and do my weighted balls, I'm going to go over and I'm going to throw a bullpen to a target. Um, yesterday I threw a bullpen, but I'm going to throw to like a wall today with a target on it. Like what if you just did your weighted balls and in your weighted balls, you threw to a target. And then while you're playing catch, you threw to a target and you threw to a glove and your partner gave you a target glove target every time. And you tried to glove strike it every throw, you know, it'd be adding it into everything you do so that nothing like everything kind of has this like focus, but there's this joy inside of it that you're mastering yourself. Love that intention and focus. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love that. (laughs) That's a, you know, and consistency, man. Like I I keep coming back to this quote by by Bruce Lee. Are you afraid of a man that practices 10,000 kicks once or one kick 10,000 days in a row? I think I just butchered it. But anyways, it's about I get the point. Yeah, I get the point. Day, right. You do it a little bit every day, every day. And you're just looking and reflecting, looking, reflecting, practicing, reflecting, reflecting. And, and just in, you know, having fun, enjoying your people around you and pushing each other and asking advice and maybe changing, maybe not, maybe standing, you know, in what you know. And, you know, as a high school kid or, you know, you want to go to high school or you want to go to college. Like, like there's Instagram, there's emails, there's videos, like email somebody, like DM somebody, like, <laughs> like DM, DM us. <laughs> yeah. DM you guys. Like, email us. Email them like email, like uh, email me. Like I'll direct you to, to you guys, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's about, you know, if you need help, like it's out there, you know, um, there's people like you, like me that I'll, I'll respond to anybody. I I just want to like, we just want to help people and, and help them get to the place that they want to be. Love it. Mm-hmm. Love it. All right. Mm-hmm. La- last question that I have for you, because I know you guys don't get many off days and no, it's good. I'm here and I can, I can vouch for the, the two to two, 3 AM nights. Cause I get X <laughs> here on the West coast after midnight, like, man, must, must've been a late game, extra innings. Um, but the, the last thing that we ask everyone is, is actually we just give you an open mic, some open mic time to provide players, parents, coaches listening to this with some advice or address anything that you don't think we, uh, we got to in the podcast. So um, if there's anything you want to talk about or, uh, you know, you have a nice mic drop to, to end the <laughs> actually, podcast some, with. <laughs> something, came to, something came to mind right now. And I've, I've never been a parent but I have 13 players and I feel like they're my, my family. And as a parent, what I found is an ad to, to helping an athlete is the biggest thing. One of the biggest thing is that what they're doing, like if, if their mindset is that whatever they're doing is their best and they're trying to be better next time as a coach or as a parent, I need to do it that way with them. So they're never wrong. Like a player is never wrong. He never did anything wrong. He did something the way he knows how to do it until he learns different. So if I make a player wrong, then the next time he's just trying to, just going to try to be right or not wrong rather than learning about his experience. So as a parent, if you're listening to this or as a, as a coach or, or someone that's trying to help another, or even as yourself and you're trying to coach yourself, don't make yourself wrong for it. Try to learn from it, not try, learn from it and be different next time. And if you're committed to that inside yourself, or you can help create an environment as a parent or coach where they're not wrong, 
they're doing something and then they're going to be better next time because you know how to teach them to get to the place you can see them that they're not doing now, then that's going to benefit everybody because not only are they not wrong, you're not getting mad at them anymore. Like, so now there's no more anger. You're like, wow. Like, you know, it's just this circle of trust. And all of a sudden now the player or the kid or in my own experience, the player can come to you and say anything to you because you're never going to make them feel bad about it. You're just going to help them through it. And like, just like what you're doing and, and what you're setting up in your website and DMing you or talking to you, it's like anybody can say anything to you and they're not going to be wrong for it. You're just going to help them through it. And that's the same way. Like if a parent or, and you can coach yourself this way, like what I did wasn't wrong. I just, what am I going to do next time to be better? And so I would say that would be kind of like an ending to it is like we've talked about what it is to be that and now what, what it is to kind of coach that and to help that is just creating the environment where, where they can learn and they can be free to express anything that there's going on inside of them because the outside, their actions is reflecting their mindset and, and their belief or their emotions of the, about themselves. So you need, they need to be able to speak about that. And if there's no vulnerable space to speak about that, for me, I found it's hard to help them move through it. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome, man. That's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a powerful message to end on that. Yeah, thanks. You know, when you find vulnerability, then you find your growth. Yeah, you have to. So you, you can't be in fear and love at the same time. You can't be in like protection and, and growth at the same time. Man. Well, Virgil, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to, to jump on the pod with us and, and pass on your knowledge. Obviously, you have, as you mentioned, experienced <laughs> baseball at literally every single level. We didn't, every even, level. <laughs> didn't even get to talk about your, your legendary status in Australia where, oh, where you won a championship and were the, the MVP. Um, but we'll have to save some of the, the other conversations for the next time we have you on the podcast. Yeah, I, I appreciate it, man. And, and I really appreciate what you're doing and doing this and having me on here. This is actually my first podcast ever. So I'm really grateful. I was a little nervous in the beginning. And like anything, you just kind of go with it and learn and be yourself and try to do that here. Um, but like, just like you, reach out to me if you need anything. If you're listening to this and you need a question or you want anything, like I'm, I'm available and I'll be as available as I can. We'll, uh, we'll make sure to include your contact info cool in the notes and uh yeah verge thanks again for joining us yeah thanks so much ethan thanks for listening to this episode of the college baseball recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by keep playing baseball as always if you need more information on the recruiting process or how to play college baseball you can find that for free on our website www.keepplayingbaseball.org we're also very active on social media that's at Keep Playing BB on Twitter, Keep Playing Baseball on Facebook, and at Keep Playing Baseball on Instagram. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take the time to subscribe and leave us a review, or at least tell your friends. We provide all this information for free because we want to help you get to the next level. If you're interested in a partnership or sponsorship in underwriting some of the Keep Playing Baseball content on our website, or being the title sponsor or running ads on our podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out to keepplayingbaseball at gmail.com. 
Thank you again for listening to this episode, and we look forward to catching you on the next one.